through the summer, we're going to try to involve the kids in, in various ways in our time of worship together. And one of the ways we're going to do that is uh, them leading our, our scripture reading. And one of the things that we do here at Corinth is when we read the Word of God, we, we stand in honor of the Word of God. So if you're able to do so, would you, would you stand up and, and join us as we share the Ten Commandments together? We've abbreviated these just a little bit. Uh, for the sake of, of our child readers, but we're going to read together from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, Amelia will, re- will lead us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover covet anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. Thank you, Amelia. As we continue in the word this morning here in uh, Exodus chapter 20, by the way, if you've not already, you'll want to probably mark that spot in your Bible for the next, uh, like the rest of the summer, we're going to be in the Ten Commandments, and so uh, you'll want to mark that spot there so you can be prepared each week as we uh, get into God's Word together. But today we're looking at the second commandment. We looked at the first commandment last week, and today we're going to look at uh, the second commandment that God has given us, the second of ten of these ten words that God has given us. And before we get too deep into it, um, I want to recommend to you uh, a resource that we have uh, gotten several copies of. If you're looking to just go a little bit uh, deeper, w- even with your family in the Ten Commandments this summer, wonderful little book by J.I. Packer. Some of you have read the book, his book called Knowing God, which is an amazing book. I highly recommend it to you. It's available on the $10 bookshelf as well. But this is a very small little book he wrote on the Ten Commandments. Uh, Just four or five pages per chapter, really simple. And we put a little reading guide in there for you uh, that you can kind of follow along with where we're going to be at. And there's some questions at the end of each chapter that you could use uh, in your own personal devotions or with your family. So just a little uh, resource there over there that's available. Uh, We ask for a donation of $10 if you're able to help us out with the cost of those. But available right over here and encourage you to, to check that out if you get a chance. All right, so Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at verses 4 through 6 this morning. Simply have entitled this message, No Graven Images. When most of us grew up with the King James Version of the Ten Commandments, which, which uh, prohibits us from making any graven images. And, and as we think about the second commandment, for a lot of us, the, the second commandment seems to be uh, nearly identical to the first commandment. And they are linked together, and yet I I want to say this morning that there is a distinctiveness about the second commandment. Uh, There's a reason why it is distinct from the first commandment, and there is much for us to learn here about the character of God. We've been saying this, that the commandments of God reveal the character of God. That's going to be kind of a theme for us as we walk through the summer together, that the, the commandments of God reveal the character of God. And that God prohibits some things because He prizes other things. So we often think about the Ten Commandments in terms of a list of of don't do this and don't do that, don't we? 
And yet, we're finding, and we're going to continue to find, that the reason why God wants us to stay away from certain things is because He wants to lead us toward other things that are better, that will help us to flourish in this life. That this is a pattern by which we can learn to love God and to love one another well. The Ten Commandments are for our good not just to keep us from some things, but to guide us into other, better things. And so let's look once again at, at verses 4 through 6. And we're going to read uh, kind of the fleshed out version here uh, of these verses together. Second commandment says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above. Now this is... Uh, up in the heavens, as high as we can go. Don't make any likeness of anything in the heavens above or on the earth beneath, or that is in the earth beneath, in the area in which we live and dwell, or that is in the water under the earth, in the sea. Don't make a carved image of anything in all creation is basically what's being said here. Not only don't make them, but verse 5, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them or, or worship them, for I am the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, or you have a footnote there that you should say to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So let's walk through these three simple verses this morning and talk about this second commandment and why it's so important for us to understand and to walk in. He begins in verse 4 there with the prohibition of graven images or of carved images. And, and automatically, when we think about this, we think about little tiki statues or, or we think about uh, temples in the Old Testament days where they would have uh, statues of stone that folks would come in and burn incense before and, and bow down and worship before. We, we, we think about something that seems pretty removed from our existence. And yet I hope that you'll see before we finish today that it's, this is not removed from our existence. Idolatry is alive and well even here in the United States of America today. But I want to begin with this question today. As we look at this prohibition of graven images, here's the question that, that I've kind of wrestled with this week. Why is God so livid about likenesses? Why is He so incensed by this whole deal of, of images? What's What's really got God's goat, so to speak, in terms of this particular commandment? Why is this such a big deal? I mean, is God somehow threatened by the little tiki statue? Is, is God somehow threatened by the many temples where false gods were, were worshipped? Is God somehow threatened by the false idols that we erect in our lives? And we'll talk more about what some of those are before we finish today. Or is there something deeper going on here? I would say to you, without any hesitation, that the one true and living God is by no means threatened by our idolatry but that He prohibits this from us because He prizes something far greater. So what is that? 
letter B on your outline there, we see so clearly from Scripture that God created us in His image. It's the same word that we find here in the Ten Commandments. The image that He prohibits us from making is the same kind of an idea that He created us in His image. But not only did He create us in His image, but He reserves for Himself the right of revealing those images which are worthy of worship. So there's a sense in which when we engage in idolatry, when we engage in worshiping something created rather than the Creator, as Romans 1 talks about, that we, in our idolatry, we worship created things rather than the Creator who is to be forever praised, that when we engage in idolatry, that we are seeking to replace God. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. We did this last week. We looked at Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3 last week as we talked about that there's no other God and that our God has, has spoken to us and spoke all things into being. But at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, it says this, And so God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So men and women created in the image of God to reflect His likeness in the creation that God had made. There's nothing else in all creation that was created in the image of God. This is the pinnacle of God's creation here in verse 27. When God exalts above everything else, men and women created in His image to reveal Him to the rest of the world. That we were meant to be an image that would show the unseen God to his creation. And yet, as Grant shared with us a few minutes ago, in Genesis chapter 3, man chose, rather than to reflect the image of God, chose to rebel against that image. And the image of God in us was fractured by sin. If, like a mirror, we were meant to be a reflection of God's image, that image, that mirror was cracked. It was fractured. And the image no longer was accurate as it was meant to be. Now there is hope, as we'll talk about before we finish this morning. But understand very clearly that the God of all creation said in Isaiah 42, He said, I am the Lord. This is where we began last week with this statement of God saying, I am the Lord your God. That's where the Ten Commandments begins. In Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God that He has given to His people. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. He will not share His glory with any lesser gods. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And so from the very beginning, understand this morning that the reason why the second commandment is important is because... It is protecting the very character and nature of God Himself. And it also protects us as His people, as we'll see in just a moment. Let's go to verse 5. In verse 5, we see what the problem is. The problem is one of grand theft idols. This is not grand theft auto. This is grand theft idolatry. That there is something in idolatry that is stolen. We could tie this together with a later commandment that we'll get to later this summer that, that discourages us, that prohibits us from stealing that which does not belong to us. 
That's exactly what we're seeing in the second commandment. That there is something uh, about the making of graven images. There is something about idolatry that is a form of theft. So much so that God says here in verse 5, You shall not bow down or serve these graven images, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now take that word for a moment. I don't know about you, but when I think of jealousy, especially in my own life, my own experience, when I think of jealousy, that is an ugly emotion. There is nothing holy or righteous about jealousy in terms of the way that I've experienced it or the way that I've portrayed it. In fact, in many places, Especially in the New Testament, you find jealousy or, or envy among the list of the most hideous sins that could be mentioned. Right alongside murder. Right alongside adultery. Right alongside all of the most horrible sins, you will often find jealousy or envy. And yet here, God identifies Himself as a jealous God. Isn't that strange? And yet understand this morning that God's jealousy is not like our jealousy. See, here's the problem with jealousy when it rears its ugly head in the life of your pastor. I am jealous over that which does not belong to me. And by the way, you are as well. As those broken by sin, we are constantly jealous over that which does not truly belong to us. As we've said in days past, we are simply stewards of everything that we have. Your car does not belong to you. You may make the payments, but it does not belong to you. You are a steward of that vehicle. This is a biblical worldview that I'm laying out for you that runs contrary to the culture in which we live. The house in which you live, no matter whether it's paid off or not, or you still have a mortgage on it, your house does not belong to you in terms of ownership. It is a stewardship. It is a gift of God. Parents, your children do not belong to you. And grandparents, you can say a big amen to that because you get to send those little suckers home. Okay, so they don't belong to you in terms of an ownership, in terms of a, that I would be jealous over that. The more that I can understand this, the more that I can be freed up from idolatry. The more that I can understand that everything that I have comes to me as a gift from God. Remember what James says, that every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father of the heavenly lights. With Him there is no shifting like the shadows. He's the unchanging God. Every good thing that we have comes to us as a gift from Him. And we've been called to be stewards over that. But here's what we do. We grip it as owners. And we become jealous over it. And our sin nature corrupts every bit of it. But see, here's the difference. You say, well, what's the difference with God then? The difference in God's jealousy is that He's the owner of it all. You see, when you are the rightful owner, jealousy is no longer sinful. It's righteous. When you are the rightful owner... Jealousy has absolutely no mixture of error in it. It is utterly truthful. If God were not jealous over what He's jealous over, it would be wrong and it would be sinful. 
but God is a jealous God. What is he then jealous over? That's the question, isn't it? You think about God being a jealous God, we have to ask the follow-up question, well, what is God jealous over? Let's look at the answer. I think if you look at the, there's several places in the Old Testament and even in the book of Hebrews where you see this mention of God's jealousy. And here's what I found this week by looking at those passages. That God ultimately is jealous over these things. He is jealous over His glory and over our good. God is jealous over His glory. That He is deserving of the utmost worship and praise. And He is the only one that's deserving of the utmost worship and praise. He's deserving of that. And he is jealous over that, rightfully so, because He deserves it and because He is the owner of that. He is the one true and living God, as we talked about last week. And there are no other gods. He's jealous over His own glory, but He's also jealous over our good. He wants what is best for us as His children. And here's what He knows. He knows that the very best thing for you as His son, as His daughter, is to love Him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. And tied into that, to love your neighbor, to love your brothers and sisters as yourself. That's the great commandment, isn't it? It's a summary of these ten commandments. To love God, that sums up the first four commandments. To love our neighbors as ourselves sums up the last six commandments. And he knows. Because he's almighty God, he knows that this is the very best thing for you. And anything less is not only less than the best, it's something destructive that he desires to keep his child away from. He prohibits some things because he prizes others. Because God prizes his glory and your good, he prohibits idolatry. Because he knows that anything less than your worship of him and of him alone is less than the best for you. And what good parent wants less than the best for their kids remember these are not just governmental regulations here these are household rules given by a loving father who wants the very best for his children and he's saying to you idolatry worshiping him something less than me will never be what's best for you but here's what we chose we chose to rebel by instead making God replacements. You say, well, I've not engaged in any idolatry. We all have. This is the very nature of the sinful heart. That rather than worshiping the one true and living God, we will make idols all day long. St. Augustine said that the human heart is an idol factory. We're constantly cranking these babies out. We will find all kinds of things to worship other than the one true and living God. As Grant said a few minutes ago, that it was Eve's desire to, be, to replace God with herself. She desired to be God, not just to be like Him. The sinful heart doesn't desire just to be like God, desires to be God. To take my, put myself upon the throne, to exalt myself, to consider myself worthy of worship. 
We're constantly making God replacements. We will spend our lives running after success, fame, money. We will spend our lives devoted to human relationships, not in a healthy way, but we will worship those human relationships. For some it will be, I'm going to spend my life looking for a spouse to complete me. When all along another person was not meant to complete you, only God could bring the completion into your life. Only He could fulfill the void that is there. For some, they'll spend their lives just longing for that child that will bring completion into their life. And I want to say to you, when you put a child in that position of bringing completion and and fulfillment and wholeness into your life, you are putting them in the most dangerous position on the planet. They cannot be the center of your universe. It will destroy them. And we see so many kids growing up in child-centered homes these days that are being destroyed. They're being destroyed by that. In order for your home to function biblically, Christ must be at the center. He must be worshipped above all. And you must understand every other relationship rightly in relation to that relationship which is primary. But we so often get the cart before the horse. We so often worship lesser gods. We do exactly what the Israelites did. Do you remember what's happening as God gives the Ten Commandments? As God is writing with His own finger on those tablets of stone, these ten words, these ten commandments that we just read a few minutes ago, as He is doing this, and Moses is up on the mountain, and all the scaredy-cat Israelites are down in the valley because no one else was brave enough to go up and meet with God face to face, As Moses is receiving God's word from God's hand, do you remember what the Israelites were doing down in the valley? They had gathered together a heap of gold that they had gotten from the Egyptians in their exodus. And they had melted it down. And Aaron, the second in command, who was left in charge over the camp while Moses went up on the mountain, Aaron is taking that gold and he is fashioning a golden calf and he is calling God's children who've been rescued by the hand of Almighty God to come and worship this little golden calf. Saying, look Israelites, these are the gods who brought you up out of Egypt. They are breaking the second commandment even as it's being given. Psalm 106 The psalmist is reminded that they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a a metal image. This is what idolatry is. Notice it. Don't miss this. They exchanged the glory of God for for the image of an ox that eats grass. Isn't that ridiculous? You say, what a ridiculous exchange. Who would exchange the glory of Almighty God, the one true and living God in all of His glory, who would trade that for the image of an ox eating grass? You and I would. We do it all the time. We exchange the glory of God for lesser gods on a daily basis. When we allow our hearts to be tied into that which is not worthy of our worship. We were created as worshiping beings. You you can't help but worship. You may not sing the songs here in church, but you can't help but worship. 
Your heart was created to worship. The only question that remains is what or who will you worship? You may spend your life worshiping your spouse, and for many of you, it will destroy your marriage in the process. You may expend your life worshiping your children, and it will destroy your children in the process. You may spend your life worshiping your occupation, worshiping the search for education, worshiping the search for success and fame, looking for your 15 minutes of fame and stretching those out as long as you can. We can spend our lives on all kinds of things that will merit absolutely nothing but destruction. Our hearts, our hearts are idol factories. But there is a solution. It's found in verse 6. I love that he hasn't left us at verse 5. If we're left at verse 5, there's a hopelessness here. But I want you to see verse 6. Let's begin, though, a little bit back. I, the Lord your God, verse 5, am a jealous God. A jealous God who visits the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, let me, show, let me say something here real quickly. He is not saying here, I'm going to punish the children for the sins of the fathers. He's saying the consequences of the parents' sin often bear ugly fruit in the lives of their children. So why is it that we see that children of alcoholics often become alcoholics themselves. It's because of the pattern of sin in the lives of the parents. Why do we also see that parents who are obsessed with worldly success, making a lot of money and having all the best things that their kids are obsessed with success and having all the money and having all the best things? is the pattern that God has instituted to the third and fourth generation the effects of the sins of the fathers are passed down we see this so often in families and yet don't miss verse 6 no. for in verse 6 you see the promise of grace immeasurable but he says this is one of those but God moments but I'm a God who shows steadfast love. That word is the Hebrew word hesed. It's, it's a word of, of God's covenant. It's a, it's a word of covenant love that God has promised to show steadfast, unfailing, never to be denied love to thousands. And it could also be translated to, to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Pastor Tony Marita said this is the first mention of loving God in the scriptures. It has been implied already in the Exodus story and in various other places, but it's explicit here. This is the first time in the Bible that loving God, that our love for God is put out there and this becomes so foundational for everything else. That's what the Ten Commandments are ultimately about. Don't miss that. These are not just rules and regulations that you either live by or you don't. This is God saying, this is what it looks like to love me well. And this is what it looks like to love your brothers and sisters well. 
This is a recipe for love. And God is laying it out here for us and saying, I want you, I desire for you to flourish in love for me and in love for one another. That's not a bad thing, is it? So when we read the Ten Commandments and all we hear is a bunch of do's and don'ts, a bunch of prohibitions, and we don't recognize that the prohibitions are only there to reveal to us that which God prizes. That his don'ts are there to reveal that which God desires for us. Don't miss that. The heart of God's being put on display here. And so here's the question. So how can we truly love and live for God? Look at the end of verse 6. A God who shows steadfast love to thousands or to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So how can we love God and live for Him when our hearts are idol factories? Constantly making false gods that are not really worthy of worship, but we'll worship them anyway. How can we love and live for God? We go over to Jesus' words in John 14. Sounds so familiar to what we just read in verse 6. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You will keep my commandments. Does that sound like what God just said in Exodus 20 verse 6? For those who would say, well, Jesus never declared himself to be God. He does right there. The all, one true and living God said, this is what it looks like to love me and keep my commandments. And now Jesus steps in and says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Same wording. Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. He did not shy away from it in any way, shape, or form. But notice the rest. Don't stop at verse 14. You're going to miss it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. This is why we believe in a Trinitarian God, God in three persons. Because here we have God the Son asking God the Father to send God the Spirit for the good of His people. It's a beautiful picture. To be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you you and so let's go back to the question how can we truly love and live for God here's the bad news you can't if I were to leave you there we are all without God and without hope in the world we might as well go home and never return to this place there's no hope for us but I want you to see the hope Jesus says if you love me you'll keep my commandments and guess what I'm going to enable you to keep the commandments in a way you could never do on your own. I'm going to ask my Father, who is the good and loving God who gave you the commandments in the first place, and I'm going to ask Him to send you a helper who's going to enable you to do what you couldn't do before. You couldn't keep my commandments. You couldn't do it. We're going to see in weeks to come, there is no way that you could keep even these Ten Commandments and much less the 600 plus others that we find in the Old Testament. There's no way you could do it. There is no way that you could live your life according to these rules in their fullness. And so Jesus steps in, the fulfiller of the law, who said, I came out to do away with the law. 
but to fulfill it on your behalf. He, Jesus steps in here and says, and I'm going to enable you to keep the commandments of God. Not so that you can earn His favor, but because you already have it. Because God has extended His gracious favor to you, an unmerited favor. He has not said, do these things and I'll be happy with you. No, He said, you already messed it up, dude. You already messed it up. And so I'm going to step in and fix what you've broken. I'm going to step in and do for you what you could never do for yourself. And it's going to be all of grace. All of the gift of God. It's not God doing His part and you doing your part and then put those together in some kind of amalgamation and it's just going to work out. That's not the gospel, folks. The gospel is He has called you to obedience to His commands and you couldn't do it. And so your loving Father sent His perfect Son to do for you what you could not do. To keep the law in all its fullness. And though he was deserving of great commendation for keeping the law, instead he took our condemnation upon himself when he went to the cross. And he who knew no sin of his own became sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. We might be able to keep the commandments of God because not only did he keep them on our behalf, but he sent the Spirit to dwell in us, to live in us, to empower us to do what we could not do. Do you see the beauty of the gospel? In our helplessness, God stepped in. Let's be reminded of who this Jesus is as we finish this morning. You see, Christ is the exact image of God and the only one who can renew His image in us. Remember, the mirror's been fractured. The image of God in us has been broken by our sinful rebellion against Him. And there was nothing that we could do to fix that broken image. And so God steps in, in the person of Jesus Christ, and He does for us what we were completely incapable of. You say, well, where do you get the idea that Jesus is the exact image of God? Let me show you just two scriptures of dozens I could take you to this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, in the case of those who are perishing in their sin, the God of this world, that's a little g-god, notice. That's a reference to Satan, to the devil there. The God of this world, little g-god. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Christ, don't miss this last part who is the image of God. It doesn't say He was made in the image of God or that He's part of the image of God. He is the exact representation of who God is in all of His fullness. He is the image of God who brings us the gospel for our salvation. You go back one chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and so we all... All believers, all who've trusted Christ by faith, we all, with unveiled face, that's a reference to something in the Old Testament we don't have time to get into. With unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image. There's that word we've been talking about a lot today. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's transformation that's taking place in the lives of believers. And this comes where? This comes by our hard work, right? 
We try really hard to be good Christians. You can spend your life trying to be a good Christian. I want to tell you where that will leave you. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Where Jesus says there's going to be a host of folks that will stand before him who have tried their entire lives to be good Christians. They've devoted their lives to it. And when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he will look upon them and he will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Don't trust in your works to do what only God can do. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God empowering us to do what we cannot do on our own. And so what is our response then? Do we have any part in this? We do have a response. A response that's given to us by God. Our response is simply this. To repent of our idolatry and to rely fully on the finished work of Christ for our redemption. It's repentance and faith. We come back here every week and we're going to keep coming back to this place because this is the beautiful pathway that God has given us to walk in. In repentance we turn from our sin and in faith we trust in Christ. We repent and we rely fully upon what He has done. We repent of all of our self-righteousness, from all of our idolatry. We repent of these things and we trust fully in Christ and what He has done at the cross for us. There is no other response. That's rightful. In 1 John chapter 5, as John is wrapping up his first epistle, he says, we know, we know this is a word that represents intimate knowledge. We know that we know that the Son of God has come and He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. It's not just that we know Him. We are in Him, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Who is this Jesus? He is the true God and eternal life. And so his last line is this. So little children, children of God, keep yourself from idols. You say, how, how did he get from Jesus is the true God to keep yourself from idols? It's because idolatry is our creating all manner of false gods in opposition to him. And so it's in recognizing that Jesus Christ is the one true and living God, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that we recognize that no idol will do. There is no replacement for him. There is none who measures up to his glory. There is none who holds in himself our greatest good except for Jesus Christ. He is the one, Colossians 1 says, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption. Redemption means he fixed what we broke. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He Christ is the image of the invisible God. If you are wrestling today with what do I do with an invisible God, praise be to God, He has not left you to struggle over that question. He says simply in, 1 Corinthians, in Colossians 1, 15, 
He is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what the invisible God of all creation is like? Look to Jesus Christ. You want to understand the character of God? Look to Jesus Christ. You want to see the power of God put on display? Look to Jesus Christ. You want to know Him? Then get to know Jesus Christ. This is the way that God the Father has ordained for all of His children to come to Him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the image of God. He is the only one that can renew the image of God in you. And He will do that through a lifelong transformation as you continually walk these sweet pathways of repentance and faith. Will you trust Him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? Will you exert your full and total dependence upon Him? I know that is scary for us independent Americans. But there is no other pathway that leads to eternal life. And so I urge you today, set aside your idolatry. We're going to pray in just a moment that God would reveal to us where idolatry is rearing its head in our lives in these days. I guarantee you it's there. We just sometimes pretend like it's not. And we're going to ask God to reveal himself to us in such a way that not only will we see him, but we will know him and we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another as we behold our Savior, the Son of God. He is the image of God.